0: Log Talk Radio <laughs>
1: Program. I'm Susan Larison-Dams, and I am just so delighted to be welcoming you back here today, and I am also happy to be welcoming the Twitter Mindful Monday audience, because I see I put a tweet out and tagged it Mindful Monday, and immediately somebody liked it, and they're starting to notice that, and that's a beautiful synchronicity for today that we are going to be talking about mindfulness today. In just a moment I am going to bring our guest on the line and let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. His name is Nigel Wellings and he is a psychoanalytic psychotherapist calling in from England and his new book is called Why Can't I Meditate? How to get your mindfulness practice on track. Now that title may sound like, oh, you know, another book on meditation, you may be saying. Well, let me tell you, this is not just another book on meditation. This book, what I have experienced of it so far, which has already helped me, addresses the core issues that many of us have, and I am raising my hand as I sit here and speak, giving this introduction that I certainly fall into this category, and I think all of you do, and that is, it feels imperfect, and we fall out of it, and it's like, why, why are our thoughts distracting us, and things that we think meditation should be, and what if it isn't? And I am as much of a novice as many of you approaching this. And what if we always are to an extent? So that's what we're going to talk about. And let me tell you a little bit about Nigel. Um, he is a psychotherapist in England. And he is has been teaching and writing about psychotherapy and Buddhism um, for 16 years. He is director of training, or has been director of training at the Center for Transpersonal Psychology, and he is a founder of the Forum for Contemplative Studies. So he has done many things, and his website is whycantimeditate.com, and without further delay, I am so delighted to bring Nigel Wellings on the line. Welcome, Nigel. Hello there. Well, Hi there. Nice Thank you, you for
2: here.
1: inviting me. Oh, well, it's just wonderful to have you here. And I must honestly say from my heart, it's about time to, to hear such an honest message, Nigel, because so many of us, and I count myself among them, um, although I, well, you know, we we just aren't perfect in our approach to meditation, are we? And why do we think we need to be perfect and how can you help us with that?
2: Well, that's a that's a wonderful place to start. Um, I think probably everybody has an idea about how they ought to be, how they should yeah. be. And, uh, and those oughts and those shoulds end up just making us feel worse, don't they? They kind of persecute us. Yeah. And the first thing about mindfulness is it always begins where we are rather than where we think we should be.
1: Yes. You know, Nigel, that term mindfulness, we use it all the time. We hear it all the time. But what is it really? I mean, you've really studied mindfulness. You are an expert in this. How do you really define mindfulness, Nigel?
2: I am not sure I'm an expert, so if we could just lay that to one side for a minute. All right, yes, okay.
1: All right.
2: <laughs> um I think you can a, help a, us
1: with it anyway.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe. I hope so. I'm trying to help myself.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, I so um
2: Yeah, mindfulness has become one of those words that's got bigger and bigger and bigger as more and more and more meanings have become attached to it. Yes. Um And so I guess how I'm going to talk about it today is in a very specific way, obviously the way that I understand it. Um, Mindfulness came out of Buddhism, so it's been around for two and a half thousand years almost. Um, And it's based on our ability to rest our attention on something and keep on returning to that place where we rest our attention. So let's say we take our breath, Um, we rest our attention on our breath, and what we experience after a couple of minutes is that our mind takes us off. That's normal. That happens to absolutely everybody. And then we have to remember to come back to the breath. And that's one of the meanings of mindfulness. It means to remember or to recollect or to return to the thing that we're placing our attention on over and over and over and over again. And as we do that, a couple of things happen. First of all, with the growing concentration, the mind begins to still and become a bit calmer, not necessarily every time, and not necessarily for very long. And also, we begin to get some insights into ourselves. Um, And so maybe the first insight is how terribly difficult it is to actually keep our mind in one place and how we want to just jump up and do something different immediately. So out of mindfulness, out of prolonged attention grows concentration and this gives us access to a greater sense of calm and insight. You know, it what it's seems not like... is all about making ourselves feel fabulous all of the time. That's another yes. burden we need to get rid of.
1: Yes, you really talk about these um we have these imaginary things in our heads that, you know, seem to I don't know they maybe they've just been embedded there over the years now, as I personally and many of my audience, some of them may have been attempting to meditate or may have you know come and gone and have all different experiences of meditation and I know that many of us maybe don't even really understand what it is because what I appreciate with what you say, Nigel, is that 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 feeling of of becoming distracted and then coming back. It's not so much that should, and I'm kind of rephrasing the way I'm understanding this, because for me it's always, oh, you know, you beat yourself, you know, I should be coming, and so you just feel like you're not, you're like, oh, I'm no good at this. It's not that. That's the core of it is that you're aware aware that you're coming back. And and I, I don't know that I've thought about it that way until reading it. And I'm not even sure if I'm describing it well. You <laughs> you describe that in your way. But it's that core of knowing that you're, you went away and you came back.
2: Yeah, unless we were distracted and we wandered off. How could uh-huh. we notice that we'd wandered off and come back? So in a way, in a very big way, um, the whole process of becoming distracted, going off with the fairies, as we say over here, uh, going off into the future and the past, and then recognizing that we're, that we're doing that and then bringing ourselves back. We couldn't bring ourselves back unless we did all that stuff. It's an intrinsic part of the practice. So the practice yeah. we can see is you know staying with something like our breath or our sensations, wandering away, noticing that, and coming back, and then just doing that many, many, many times. And all of that is the practice. Not one bit of it isn't the practice.
1: Yes, yes, and, you know, I, I don't know why with how you continually remind us that it's okay to be imperfect, that really started to sink in with me because maybe I've heard it before, and yet there was, there's a way in which you convey it that just helped me to say, hey, you know, this is all right. This is actually it, and I'm not sure I really yeah. got that before or even began to approach getting it
2: yeah that's right, isn't it? We live in a society which is always encouraging us, either materially or spiritually, to be somehow different from how we already are. the whole thing is kind of saturated with 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 ambition i suppose yeah and and what what the practice of mindfulness does, if practiced as I understand in a good way um is that it, it's just, you, know, you must notice that ambition and just kind of put it down, put it down. We start where we are, if we can only be present with, up with our breath, with our sensations, with our emotions felt in our body for just one moment, and then we go off and then we come back. That's absolutely perfect, because that's where we already are. I guess the thing is, if we have ambition, that ambition is always a kind of making us wrong in some way, isn't it? It's saying yes. as I am it's not it's not enough it's not good enough
1: good enough yes
2: and uh, and we kind of it's a kind of subtle form of self- abuse it
1: is it is and and it it quickly derails um a practice here, and you know i I have a question because as I was looking at 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 what you had to say um i I got to thinking how in some ways, I feel like I've been tricked into some of these things. Um, <laughs> by walking. And and I, I just wonder, um, although it's not quite, you know, finding a place to sit every day, although actually I do sit in nature more and more, it, it, it's almost as if what about people who are walking? Um, and maybe this gets us into the logistics of meditating. I mean, does that help us? Maybe we're doing some of this already if we go for, for a walk out in nature and work with our thoughts, and sometimes we're troubled and sometimes we're not, and we just have that experience. Um,
2: that, that's a difficult question. On our courses, we have lots of people who say, oh, you know, I go out every morning walking the dog.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Does that count as mindful?
1: Yeah, it does. And
2: and we say to them, well, we're not really sure. Um, uh-huh. What's going on in your mind whilst you're walking the dog? What, what's going on on a, a moment-to-moment basis? Uh-huh. And what we suspect is happening is that, is that the person is really, you know, one minute they're looking at a tree, the next minute they're looking at the dog, the next minute they're thinking about their breakfast and another dog comes along, so there's a moment of anxiety, then they think about work. So there's just a kind of a whole series of fleeting thoughts, uh, which the person probably isn't that aware of. Yeah. So so trying to find some one thing um, to rest the mind on, to begin to, to still it, when you've got so many different stimuli coming in, um, as you have when you're walking the dog, it, it, it's not really the same thing. It, it's it's not that easy. It's not to uh-huh. say that one couldn't be mindful walking the dog. Of course you yeah. could, but it's a yeah. really difficult place to start. It's much better to start small and simple and rather than kind of overwhelm yourself with something which has got you know, billions of pieces of sense stimuli coming in. Um, you know
1: what? I'm thinking about this now, honestly, and I have to say I wonder if, and, and I walk... There are times when I find myself in a place where there are no distractions out in nature and I can approach this. However, in a way, it's an evasion. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying this in a judgmental way. (laughs) I have to be careful because it's real easy to fall into that because I I feel sometimes like, um, okay, well, I went for a walk, you know, and I had, you know, it can be really nice. I have very nice experiences of my walks. However, there's this feeling like I have to sit down for an hour, you know, and there's even that that um, saying, I, I can't even quote it exactly, which says, you know, if you think you can't sit down for an hour, well, then you need to, you know, you have to double the time. And somehow that, that frightens us. And yet you talk about how if you can only begin with five minutes and it's like gosh five minutes surely i can do five minutes
2: yeah that's right yeah it's much better to um to, to give yourself something that you're going to feel that you can manage and and some sense of oh yeah i, I managed to get to the end of that and i didn't die
0: <laughs> so <laughs> if
2: if it's only five minutes You know, just sitting in your chair somewhere or in a nice spot in your house where you feel there's some kind of tranquility. Maybe you've made it into kind of a special corner in some way or another. Those five minutes repeated every single day in a very simple way uh, are the fundamental building blocks of a mindfulness practice. Whereas taking on something huge and complex with many, many different things going on in it, that really isn't going to establish much of a mindfulness habit. Um, I, I kind of want to say something about this going out in nature because so many people say it. What people don't say is, um, I went for a walk amongst coal mines or heavy in, heavy steel industry or <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: the docks yes. because none of those places have kind of got a romantic charge to them. But actually, they would be just as good as as a beautiful beach or a beautiful forest because what we're after is not trying to create a specific experience. We're after the experience. We're trying to be present with the experience we've already got. So there's a little story there. Um, One of our students got to the end of the course and she said she was going on holiday to Portugal um, at the end of the course and she was going to have a wonderful mindful experience <laughs> on uh-huh. a beach somewhere and Philippa yeah. and i that's my wife who i teach with we both kind of quietly laughed uh-huh. anyway so we uh so off she went to have a mindful experience and i saw her in the supermarket a couple of weeks later and i said how did it go and she said oh it was terrible I got out really early one morning and I walked down the beach and there was nobody there and it was completely clear and the sun was coming up over Africa and I laid out my lovely thick fluffy towel and got my meditation shawl out and I sat there ready to go and I said and what happened and she said my mind went berserk <laughs> <laughs> she said, like, I couldn't stop thinking. I was really dissatisfied with myself. I got really upset. I got so angry with myself. Uh, in the end, I just gave up and kind of stomped off. She said, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And, of course, the problem there was, was that she'd had an idea about what the experience of mindfulness yeah. should be.
0: Yeah. And, of course, mm-hmm.
2: had she been a little more adept at the practice she might just have caught her mind and said oh how? hang on a minute I've got a mind here which is full of dissatisfaction and anger and disappointment where do I feel those emotions in my body and then she may have noticed that she had a churning chest an upset tummy maybe And she could have rested her attention on those places in her body and just breathed, let herself have those experiences completely and just be present with them, not trying to change them, not trying to get rid of them. And in that way, she would have taken uh, what she imagined to be a disastrous mindfulness practice into absolutely a a really good mindfulness practice because she would have been present with the experience she was having rather than the one that she thought she should have or wanted so I think there's a I think that's a really powerful story, and I'm really grateful to her for having yeah. that experience because it really teaches all of us, doesn't it, that we're not trying to achieve a particular state of mind. We're just yeah. trying to be with the state of mind that's actually there that we've got in this moment.
1: Yes, you know, yeah. There's something you say, Nigel, about um, how we need to experience our emotions and you know a lot of times i feel like sometimes in the not just sometimes many times in the spiritual community a lot of us are posting affirmations all the time and and i do this because you know it's telling it's helping me to to feel positive or if i'm feeling positive that helps however sometimes i feel and i've felt this many times i that we're not allowing ourselves to be real and exposed, and now that's a little bit different when we're talking to other people. But what about when we're talking with ourselves? You know, when we're spending time with ourselves, and something hurts, and and you're you say that we need to spend time with that and not evade it if that comes in while we're spending yeah, time. Yeah,
2: certainly saying that. Yeah, if you think about it, nature gives us two ways to be with our emotions Um, one way is to completely identify with our emotions so that our emotions as it were kind of grab us and carry carry us away with them so it's almost like our emotions have us rather than we having them and any of us who know what that feels like can actually know that we can be sort of full of emotions but the emotion that we're full of is possibly one that we find easier to deal with than another one which is hidden underneath. So that's one yeah. extreme. And then at the other extreme, there are many, many, many forms of repression, um, which can include trying to be positive about everything. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, and again, that's, that's another way that our organism is really trying to cope with emotions that it's finding very difficult to be present with okay so those are the two that nature gives us expression or repression Uh um what mindfulness does is it goes right down the middle between those two um it doesn't come intact from nature but the ability to do it is there with nature we can with practice achieve this and that is to on the one hand not repress our emotions allow ourselves to feel them and the way we teach this, and many, many mindfulness teachers are teaching this now, is to teach the emotion as felt in the body. Where am I feeling that emotion in my body right now? Going to that place, staying with it, um, not falling into the storyline about it. And then the other, um, so, that's, so that's not to repress. And on the other hand, we, we allow ourselves to really feel it, but we don't identify with it. We don't let the emotion completely overwhelm us. So there's still a relationship to what we're feeling rather than becoming identified. So that's where mindfulness slots in there. And, of course, that's great because it it puts us into the maximum contact with all parts of ourselves. So as a psychotherapist, I would say that the the kind of guiding light that runs throughout my work is can I be present with the entire spectrum of myself without having to hide parts of it away because it's unbearable it's overwhelming and um, and as a mindfulness teacher I'd say exactly the same thing, can I be with the entirety of my experience without picking and choosing, good and bad, mad and sad and it's all okay, um, not having to hide bits of it away from me so of course, yes. the word that comes in here is a beautiful word, isn't it? The word equanimity. Mm. Yes, it
1: implies balance. Yes.
2: Yeah. You know something,
1: as as you explore this, Nigel, given given your basis in in psychotherapy, is um, there was a part of of what I read, in what you shared, that really got me reflecting because i've been wondering about this myself is it seems like in our modern society nigel very quickly if we're experiencing a strong emotion stress or depression especially depression and we're immediately at least in the united states handed a pill and maybe five minutes of talk (laughs) with somebody maybe they'll tell you to take some kind of class maybe but what if what if people could really benefit from not only a mindfulness practice, and this may be a little bit touching on a, a, a another topic, but as we're encountering ourselves, you know, to have really, when you talk about cognitive therapy, for example, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, and I guess what I'm asking is there may be people who are entering into this practice and they're encountering things that they go deeper and and how do you know? And and how do you? How are there ways of working with that? You know, without getting too deeply into this, but but um, I feel you can help provide some more depth of of what people can do yeah. and what to look for.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've just taken us to the heart of the book because the basic yeah. message of the book is that there's a big sell on mindfulness at the moment. It's going to make you yeah. feel wonderful, and of course the yeah. truth of it is it it doesn't yeah. and every single one of the um, people who contributed to the book um, the, as as you know, the book has got contrib- contributions from yeah. both secular and Buddhist mindfulness teachers of yeah. many different denominations they're kind of um they're kind of sprinkled throughout the text, um, telling their stories, giving their advice um And the one thing that all of them said was that when we begin to form a relationship with ourselves, what we begin to form a relationship with isn't always comfortable because we get into touch with thoughts, with emotions, with behaviors that we don't really feel that comfortable about. And so we kind of have to make friends with ourselves. Um, So if I begin to sit regularly... You know, rather than just do a sort of one-minute mindfulness thing, which kind of avoids just about everything. But if I begin to sit regularly, and, and it goes from five minutes to ten, ten to fifteen, and I begin to form that relationship with me, I'm going to start feeling a lot of stuff. So maybe the first thing I'm going to feel is that I don't actually feel that comfortable sitting down. Maybe I'm a kind of person who likes to run around all the time. And I suddenly uh-huh. discover that I run around all the time because I don't like the feeling of sitting still.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, you know, so the next minute I'm up and I've got my hand in the fridge or I'm doing the emails.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and then we sit yeah. a bit
2: longer and we begin to find that there are stories going around our head. You know, why did my best friend stop talking to me? And then there's a whole kind of story going on with that where they're like this, they're like that, they're like this. But gradually another story comes up. Well, maybe what did I do? You know, maybe this always happens to me. And then we go a little bit deeper and we begin to touch into feelings. I don't know, something like not feeling so confident about ourselves. Many of us have very, very, very persecutory feelings of self-criticism, even self-hatred. And so we begin to touch into that. So as we go down, as we go slower and slower and slower, more and more insight begins to come out of the practice about what's going on inside of us. Now, all of the teachers that I spoke to, which is a really good representation, cross-representation, said, this is what mindfulness is designed for. That's what it's meant for. It's not to kind of give you another fix, Uh to make you kind of, you know, on top of things as a kind of another narcissist. It's about getting into a relationship with yourself at a deep level and making friends with that person you find inside. So when we stop practicing mindfulness, as the interviews with the struggling meditators in the book show, usually the reason the person is stopping is because they're actually finding it quite difficult to begin to make that relationship with themselves at whatever level and, uh, and so it's just painful. It just feels dangerous. It feels, feels dis- disorientating. It can come across as boring or as meaningless, as something I can never remain awake in. And they interpret that as, actually, I'm rubbish at mindfulness. I'm not going to practice. Uh-huh. But what's really happening is, is that they're beginning to form a relationship with themselves that is difficult. And if they can continue to hang in there, and allow themselves to feel the difficult things, you know, their emotions generally. Where, where do I feel this not wanting to do this? Well, I kind of feel it here in my, in my chest. So let me just stay with that and just let myself feel that. And then gradually all the reasons that we don't want to do the practice, all the reasons that are putting us off from doing the practice become incorporated into the practice itself. Um, and, and as that goes on, we just make better and better friends with ourselves, less and less frightened of the things that we find going on within ourselves. And with that comes um, a kind of a peace, not a kind of a, a wonderful, chilled out, calm space that is like you know, a momentary thing, but a much deeper peace, a peace from being happy with who we are and being able to stay with who we are. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So how does that then when we when we become comfortable with who we are and our emotions, Nigel? How can there there can be this feeling, I think. I, I can feel it um, even I I where you think to yourself, Yes, but <laughs> I want to change, you know, this or that. You know, I think that we can that's one of the things probably we we sit with and we struggle with that. And especially in this this new age culture. I mean, I hate to I don't want to I better be careful not to characterize it too much, but there can be this feeling of it's not okay. It's not okay to to fully experience that that feeling. It's not okay. And 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 yet we have to get, we, I guess we have to turn those voices off and say it is okay, but at the same time we want change. You know, we want to feel more peace. And and so there's just that conflict. And I know I'm just capturing the same thing over, but I feel it. I feel that moment of, of yes, I'm feeling this, and yet I still have that struggle of, of um, you know, I want to feel better. Um, I want to feel this this thing that people tell me that i can feel and 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 so you have that illusion or that 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 thing that you're holding out in front of you
2: yeah yeah i mean it's not the new age it's everybody isn't it it's every single (laughs) one of us wants uh, (laughs) that
0: um
2: in um traditionally there there are five hindrances to the practice of mindfulness Uh practice of calming the mind um and you can think of them a little bit like, like the seven dwarfs, but there's only five of them. So what are they? They're um, grabby, grumpy, sleepy, jumpy, and maybe. So greedy, grabby. No, sorry, greedy, grabby, grumpy, greedy, grabby, grumpy, sleepy, jumpy, and maybe. And... Um, and these represent the five principal problems that we have when we sit. So the first two are wanting and not wanting. So I want to feel something, and I don't want to feel something else. So that relates to what you've just said. Mm-hmm. Um, that's completely normal. Everybody does that. They don't have to be part yeah. of the New Age. We all want something, and we all don't, and we all want don't want other things. Um, so we have an idea about what our mindfulness practice should be like, how it ought to deliver, um, how I don't want to be in relationship to how I am, but I want to have a relationship with myself as some new spangly person, so that's wanting and not wanting. Um, uh, sleepy, I love the, the, the translation for that one, sloth and torpor. That's kind of biblical, isn't it? It's, mm. it's, it's, it's that state where we just do not want to be conscious, where we don't want to be engaged, numb. where we don't want to feel. <laughs> I, just, I just, give me a drink. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's wanting to be numb, I think of that. Numb out. <laughs> yeah. And, of yeah course, uh-huh.
2: and then the opposite of that one is agitation. That's some um, jumpy uh, agitation and worry. And, and the course of course, that is you can feel your body moving around with that one, can't you? You can't sit still. Mind won't sit still.
1: And then the last
2: one is is maybe, which is doubt. And, and doubt says, what am I doing this for? I must be mad. I paid £250 for this mindfulness course. And what do they say? Turn towards the mind I've already got. Why would I want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> and
0: uh,
2: yeah. so that's what we experience every single one of us when we sit yes. and practice mindfulness we experience those five dwarfs with those five hindrances wanting not wanting sleepy and agitation and doubt now if we don't recognize them as hindrances they just get us off our cushion or off our chair and we're up and out from our five-minute practice before you can say, mindfulness,
0: <laughs> uh-huh. we gone. Uh-huh.
2: But if we notice, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm noticing that I'm really wanting to have this and not have that. If I notice that I'm sleepy, if I notice that I'm jumpy, if I'm noticing that I'm thinking a lot about it and not really being present, doubting, then I can just incorporate that into my mindfulness practice, and then that's fine. That's just what's going on and then I come back. That's what's going on, and then I come back. That's what's going on, and I come back. And it's fine, because that is the practice. Our practice always has these hindrances in it, and we incorporate them.
1: Yes. Yeah? No, I, I am stuff. getting this. You know, now something, and and you're really making me reflect, Nigel, about um, how how we do tend to avoid, many of us, just the sitting with our emotions because i will say honestly when i walk in nature and um, i've told you i live in the pacific northwest and my audience knows i live up here some of my audience it's beautiful and i really can feel transcendent joy i mean i can only call it that it is real transcendent joy does occur it's not numb it's it it's wonderful however I I mean, I think that's really cool. I really do get this from walks. Not always, but sometimes. This sitting just in a room quietly with myself is much more challenging. And I'm beginning to think, that this is really getting at the core of that. And that it doesn't mean we can't I guess what I'm trying to say, it's not like life has to be continual suffering. That's not the idea. That there and maybe you can answer this better than I can. All I know is my experience has been learning that wow, this transcendent joy is really accessible and for me through nature. Um um but you know, through meditation there's something about it that I don't understand, and I think this is true for, for many of us. It's I don't totally, I, I just don't get it. And maybe that's the idea, is just let us, just don't get it, just be in it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, transcendent joy is another yes. transient emotion, isn't it? It's yeah, like transcendent it rage or transcendent envy <laughs> or transcendent um, wicked sense of humor. It's, it's a passing emotional state. And, and And some emotional states we want, grabby.
0: <laughs> and some emotional
2: states we don't want, grumpy. <laughs> and,
0: but from what we're
2: talking about here, what we're saying is it's not really what the state is. It's our relationship to it. So um, so if we can really experience the transcendent state, uh, then that would be great. Now, one of the things about good experiences, which I think is a really interesting thing, particularly as a psychotherapist, is yes. that many of us actually find it very difficult to be present with good experiences. We want them all the time. We spend a lot of time and energy and money trying to achieve them. But actually, when we get something good happening, uh, we can't actually slow down sufficiently to allow ourselves to feel it fully. So, you know, so, the, so maybe I'm not saying this is true of you, but maybe of me. I'm walking my dog in the morning in the woods near here. It's lovely. It's beautiful at the moment. Um, I get really excited about the walk, and there's a very strong, beautiful experience that comes from the walk. And I'm already thinking about telling my wife about it or wondering how long I can hang on to it when my first patient arrives.
0: Oh, yes, <laughs> yes.
2: So I'm yes. not really present. Now, um, Now that's interesting. That's incredibly interesting to me. Yes. Because it tells me that irrespective of whether the, the, the experience is so-called good or bad, the important thing is my relationship to it. Am I actually experiencing it fully or not? Yes, yes. Yeah. You know,
1: I've heard this concept, and I'm not sure I understand what it means. But fragmentation, where when you feel joy, it fragments rapidly. I mean, and it becomes, or maybe I'm not explaining that well, but just um, it, it seems like that's kind of an approach to it. it it's wonderful, it, but it, it 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 can be fleeting, I guess. Um, but but. I, I I see what you're saying though. I mean, I think that, and and you know, this hour is going to go by so fast because this is such a such an interesting topic. But um, there is such depth to this. I mean, if anything can be conveyed here, it's that there. This is not just just some simple thing. I mean, it it really has the whole idea and the entire practice has incredible depth, and I think we are losing sight of that. And we need to learn that and accept it. (laughs) (laughs) And accept it. So in the instance... Yeah, go ahead.
2: No, no, you go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say, in the time we have left, I really want to um, address that. You know, um, and, and actually two words we haven't really talked too much about is... Kindness and compassion. Because you spend a yes. you spend time with that, how both with ourselves and how this can radiate outwards too.
2: Uh, um and I want yeah. to touch
1: upon that because it's important.
2: Mm. Yes, it is. We haven't used the words kindness and compassion, I don't think at all actually. But yeah, the whole yeah. conversation has been permeated with kindness and compassion, hasn't it? Because <laughs> it we've constantly has. said we've constantly said We have to accept ourselves as we find ourselves in this moment and not persecute ourselves with trying to create a different experience, trying to be a different person. Now, if that isn't kind, if that doesn't express compassion, I don't know what does. Yes, yes. And there's been
1: laughter. You make me want to laugh, you know. I don't know why, and in a good way. um, I, I was also thinking, I don't know, this may seem a non sequitur thing to bring in here. Um, When you talk about humor and and what it can be like to be bumbling around sometimes, I I think of Kung Fu Panda. (laughs) I know that may seem a strange thing to bring up, but there's something about those movies. If people have kids, they actually don't even need to have kids. We can admit watching these things, and I don't know if you've seen it, but it's just kind of that feeling of imperfection (laughs) and, yeah. And you know you've got these these um, teachers who are repeating over and over inner peace, inner peace, and you know then then there's this bumbling around and and it there's something about humor, Nigel, humor. It it helps. It helps a lot.
2: Yeah, it really does. I mean, I, I, I mean, I have quite a wicked sense of humor, and and uh, and for me that that is the lifesaver because it stops it becoming pompous it keeps yeah. it human and yeah. and and it and it says very very clearly we're all in exactly the same hole together yes and um, we're all struggling with exactly the same things um there's not one of us really who's you know on top of all of this stuff uh and again for the humor i mean, i can, it's not really a, a non connection because you're right humor and kindness go very close together i mean they could yeah. go they could come out as cruelty i suppose but the humor yeah. that i'm talking about that you're talking about is absolutely full of kindness
1: that's right not sardonic it's not sardonic humor it's it's compassionate humor
2: yeah that's right that's right
1: yeah yeah
2: that's right exactly. it's, it's the ability to laugh at oneself and say oh my yeah. god i've been sitting here for half an hour
0: <laughs> i've done
2: nothing but work out the dinner and yeah. uh, and that's okay that's perfectly okay, there we go again, never mind.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, and <laughs> I mean, you know, I get this I'm feeling, bunch, yeah, like even if you stumble into something, and it can feel that way, I use that term exact, very precisely, it's like, like, oh my gosh, you know, like I talk about my walks, or um, I've toyed with yoga a little bit, and there's a meditation aspect, and I'm a total beginner, let me tell you. Uh, but see, there you go, <laughs> we all are. Um, but, there have been times it's like you just kind of stumble into something and it's like wow you know what was that and Mm. and even that you can have humor about because Mm. it's just the whole experience is is somewhat magical and imperfect at the same time
2: yeah Yeah, absolutely we 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 sit down on our on our meditation seat and we go fast asleep and <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's not that important. What's important is that we stay on that seat until the mm. time that we said we were going to get up. And then we sit down the next day because we're not kind of beating ourselves up for the experience we have. You know, I've been doing this for a very long time. Um,
0: yeah.
2: I started teaching mindfulness to psychotherapy students, I think, in 98. But yeah. my own experience of practicing, trying to practice this, goes back to my early 20s. Um, I'm 62 now, and, uh, and one of the things, I think the, the one thing that's really come out of it for me is the abandoning of any ambition about the experience I'm having. Yeah. It's just really, really about sitting down, and whatever happens, whatever experience occurs, whatever Nigel I find, that's okay. Um, and I think until we kind of get to that place, we're very, very vulnerable in our practice to thinking yes. it should be a certain kind of way, and then when it's not, then we've done something wrong. Um, that really has disappeared, I think, and I, there's, a, there's a great freedom in that. And a lot of that comes from humor and kindness. There's, you know, it just gets you off the hook.
1: Yes, yes. Well, I can yeah. vouch for I mean, you tend not to do it. I mean, you just think, oh, you know, I don't know how to do this. Or maybe you haven't had a course. You know, here's someone... I've said this to myself. It's like, okay, you know, I probably need to take a class, and I haven't, or you know, and then until I take a class, I'm not going to figure this out. You know, that's another, another way. But, but um, it's that's not the case. It's 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 much more simple. What you you are conveying now. I'm not saying that a class can't benefit people. You certainly provide those things, and there are many of these things out there, but. What you're teaching in this book is, is don't wait. You don't have to wait for a class to, to start.
2: No, you don't have to wait for a class. Um, but the good thing about a class is that you find yourself in a community of people just the same as you. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah.
2: I think one of the great weaknesses in the mindfulness movement, um, certainly in England, I don't quite know how it is in the States, is that there's no culture of the uh, follow-up Post course. And I think, given that the mindfulness has always been practiced by communities um, in community with each other, um, and there's a great strength in the community, uh, yes. that's one of the things that makes it so difficult to, to practice. I, I'm, I'm going to, this is the thing I'm writing about at the moment uh-huh. this, our culture of doing things in isolation. Um, you know, we we go to the yoga class whilst we're practicing yoga, but as soon as we stop, we stop going to the class. Well, that's yeah. really a pity because actually everybody stops practicing yoga. Everyone stops practicing mindfulness at some point. And if you've got a whole load of other people around you who know the experience of stopping and also starting again, then they can hold you during that period when, it, when, it's, when it's proving difficult So I would say, yes, of course you can learn mindfulness from a book. Um, But what you can't learn is all the kind of the tricks which somebody who's been practicing it for a long time knows because they've stuck with their own mind. Nor can you get the the, um, support of a community of practitioners who are all struggling in exactly the same way as you. When we do our courses here in England, uh, one of the things that I think is very, very powerful for the people who participate is that they're all sitting there quietly at the beginning of the course thinking they're going to get the medal for the worst meditator in the universe.
0: <laughs>
2: and then, um, and then you know, we get to the end of the first practice and we say, turn around and just talk a little bit in a non-judgmental way about what you experienced during that practice. And they suddenly find that the room is, is full of people competing for that worst meditator oh medal and they're not going to get it <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Uh-huh.
2: and uh and i think you know again there's a, there's a huge kindness in there isn't there we're, we're not alone we're all struggling exactly the same way um yeah. and that comes out of practicing in a community
1: yeah you know what i can say when you ask about what it's like in the u.s well I know that there are a lot of people struggling in the u s right now, and one of the first things they might say is, I can't afford a class right now, and they're you know especially people home during the day listening live um actually in the pacific Northwest there's a giant layoff going on about you know many people at a big um, at intel big company here, and you know some people may already be well they're not home yet, but some will be so I will say it's a mix. It's like some people may feel like, oh, they'd love to do it, but they can't. Um, and then there's also those who can. And the existence here in the United States can feel isolating. I feel that way. I think that, um, you know, another area that, and this is a big topic at the end, but, but also, you know, if you're, for example, with a spouse who's not into it, you know, or or, or that can be, challenging sometimes or with a partner um, or even if you mm. are you may be with someone who goes about things a different way you know or seems more perfect or I'd there's another whole area where um, you know maybe you feel like you're, you're less perfect than the person you're with in that way and that of course plays into we don't need to be perfect and that's just an illusion so anyway there's just so many ways of looking at it but ultimately I feel there is a lot of isolation and not follow up here. That's been my Yeah, that's, inter-
2: that's interesting. And I mean, one of the things you're kind of touching on here, and again, this is another big subject right at it's, the It end, is. Yeah, I may
1: need that, to bring you in we, again. We're talking about the commercialization, <laughs> aren't we? Yes. Um,
2: of yes. mindfulness, and, and particularly where people, individual people, begin to brand mindfulness and somehow yes. represent it as their own special product, which they then can sell. I mean, I mean this is the kind of the the dark end of the force yeah. in the mindfulness yeah. world, but yeah. what I would say is that there are, there are masses and masses of free apps on yeah, there you on the internet
0: uh-huh. you don 't
2: have to pay through the notes for something, and yeah. what we try to encourage in our courses is um, is that you make a mindfulness buddy, a pinch that from the uh-huh. states
0: uh-huh. and
2: uh, and that you and your friend you know you you go and sit together and you maybe talk a bit about your practice, and at the end of the evening you have a glass of wine or something. Okay. So, uh, so you can actually begin to form communities of yeah. um, egalitarian communities, flat communities, uh, yeah. with people who are, who are sitting and, and sit with each other. It's, uh, and, you know, and someday a bit of money will come along, and maybe you can do a course or something. Nothing yeah. remains the same forever. So, so I don't think we have to wait um, I don't think we just have to be locked within our single little book, whether it be, yeah. you know, like yeah. I meditate or another one. Um, yeah. We can reach out of those books and make contact with each other without having to spend a great deal of money. And yeah. I personally would be a little bit suspicious about the about the um, the branding of mindfulness and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah.
2: Mindfulness doesn't well, you come know, out of that background. It comes out of a background of generosity.
1: Yes, and you know what, Nigel? That touching upon that here at the end is—it does—it has made people a little bit jaded, hasn't it? Because there can be doubt that, oh, you know, it's not even worth it. You know, there are people maybe have been burned by by something, where they spent all this money on, on something, and, and it, it was branded, as you say. It was the dark side, and yet there is a bright side to it. And hopefully um, something when I when I hear you speak is I'm hopeful that this sense of community can be international. I'm sitting here in the Pacific Northwest, and yet I feel I can continue to learn from you you know you have a website well, we from maybe other this all the
2: time don't we <laughs>
1: yeah yeah and you know what are we doing right now in in sharing and and in fact maybe now is a good time to to remind people you do have a website out there too and there can be this feeling of you're not you're not alone that that and maybe there are ways to connect with people without being physically in the same place um
2: that yeah, are practicing of yeah, what I'd say about people who get jaded, I mean, that really is where the whole book starts, isn't it? This yeah. is a book for people yeah. who've been practicing mindfulness and then they've stopped, but they want to start again.
0: Yeah. And
2: uh, and I think we all stop. And it's so easy to kind of find fault with ourselves or or find fault with the practice. But, you know, the message of the book is that that those emotions, those thoughts are actually the very thing that we turn towards and befriend inside of ourselves and we stay present with them and we can you know we can feel the entire spectrum of stuff that goes on within us that's what we that's what the whole practice is about
1: yes 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 well i really do um hope that that people will will take the opportunity to to make a beginning and we may actually be talking to some people who haven't become jaded who just don't really know much about it and and I think something else that's important is it's not just Buddhist. I know that that you I mean that like your book very much addresses that this this practice of mindfulness is independent of your spiritual path um or if you consider yourself non-religious or you have a religion you could be a conservative and still Um, and there are many um, in the culture of the U.S. listening to Blog Talk right, and even this show, there are people who may say, hey, you know, meditation um, um, is not something in the realm of my religion, and yet that's Mm -hmm. not what we're talking about. Mindfulness is not uh, associated with with a religion.
2: Yeah, the book is written um, for Buddhists practicing Buddhist because mindfulness does come out of the Buddhist tradition. I'm a bit of an academic, so for me it's important to name my sources.
0: Absolutely.
2: Uh, But of course course it's also practiced now within an entirely secular um, context. And in that secular context, people from other religious faiths um, do practice it without any conflict. Um, I think what I'd say is that it doesn't really matter whether we're a Buddhist or a Muslim or a Jew or a Christian or a, someone who w- worships fire. I can't say that as an adjective. Um, uh, <laughs> Sarastustian. <laughs> <Yes,
0: laughs> because yes. actually
2: what we share is, is exactly the same mind, is exactly the same emotions, exactly the same brain structure. And, um, and irrespective of how, about who our identity is we're all dealing with exactly the same stuff inside we are essentially the same person and you know and and then and then we come back to the simple choice what's my relationship to myself am i going to duck and dodge and hide from myself making everybody else's fault, or am i going to build that relationship with myself and take responsibility for who i am
1: Well, as we now are in the last five minutes of the show, I just want to say thank you, Nigel, for for being here today and talking so honestly with me, both in your book and on the show today. And I want to remind the audience, whycantimeditate.com is where um, people can find out more about you. And, and yes, thank you from my heart for for sharing here today.
2: I really enjoyed it. You've been a fantastic interviewer, actually. You've... um... You've kind of gone really slow, and you've listened, and you haven't suddenly pulled out of left field. What do I think about after-death experiences and stuff? which such relief, because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we do talk about all kinds of things on this show, but, but, <laughs> but, but thank you. I, 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 told, I tell people at the beginning, I am not a profession, professional broadcaster. And I do this totally because I enjoy talking to people as a person just as me <laughs> and then sharing that's what i like oh. and and thank you thank you <laughs> i i appreciate that cuz that's what it's about just having a conversation thank you
2: well that seems to work much better hang on to it <laughs> <laughs>
1: well i've been at it for over 5 years here and i just keep doing it i i guess i i just enjoy it you know it it it's something it's i love talking to people like you and i hope that it's helping people i i really feel that it is so and it surely helps me too in the process i learned something and i learned from you already and i feel like i have more to learn from you so you are welcome back here nigel in the future in fact i would enjoy that i think there's more to explore
2: oh well, that's so, kind of you thank you thank you very all much right. indeed
1: <laughs> well, thank you for being a wonderful guest, and and you take care. I guess it's evening there. <laughs> I'm, it's a beautiful evening. P- I'm
2: looking out over the valley and the low sun over the green fields uh-huh. and the trees and all the little houses. It's gorgeous.
1: Oh, how delightful. I mean, here it's about noon, and the sun is out. Yay! So I'm gonna have a walk here in a little bit. But yes, it's a beautiful it's become a beautiful sunny day and I'm looking out at trees and actually where I am today the trees are blocking the mountain. Normally I can see a mountain. Um and um but you know it's spring here and so we're enjoying that. So so mm-hmm. thank you again. <laughs> My
0: pleasure. You take
1: care.
2: You too.
1: <laughs> All right, take care then. I'll talk to you soon.
2: Okay, lovely.
1: Bye-bye, then. Bye-bye. Um, boy, what a what a, a wonderful conversation today. I, I did love the way that, that that flowed, because that's what it's all about. You know, I'd like to encourage other people out there, thinking of having a show on a place like Bog Talk Radio, just do it. If you like talking to people, that's all it is. It's just an exploration. And I'm thankful for shows like, like today. Um and so I just want to let people know the next show, unless I decide to do a spontaneous show in the night, as we know I am known to do on occasion. So um, be looking at FrontierBeyondFear.com. This show will be highlighted there today on the podcast where you can listen to it again or, or pass it along. And. Um, Upcoming shows are on the page. The entire archive is there. I invite you to come to FrontierBeyondFear.com. This show is listener-supported. There's a way to do that there. Um, And also, coming up, let's see, on the schedule, the next guest that is coming on the show will be this Friday. Frank Joseph is going to be talking about dolphins. So that will be interesting. He's a researcher. He hasn't been on in a while. Friday, and that one's at 12 pacific so but please do keep an eye you know follow the show that way you get emailed announcements i really would encourage you to do that on the blog talk radio page um, because lately i have been doing some spontaneous shows where we just talk and sometimes i take callers at night and um, i would welcome more people to those so thank you again everyone i will see you next time (music) ¶¶ it' not alone.